then in theory, assuming you're, you're a good writer as well, which uh, a lot of English teachers are by virtue of the fact that they understand English very well, mm-hmm. then uh, you should in theory be, be able to do the same thing in technical communication as well. Welcome to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast, where Gallery Ram Kumar of Document 360 finds the best SaaS self-service knowledge bases in the world, and then interviews their creators. Let's get started with today's episode. Good day, everyone. Our guest today is Alan Kassen, Documentation Manager at Metalia. Welcome, Alan, to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Super. So, Alan, I did a very, very uh, brief introduction about you, but please feel free to uh, help our audience understand a little bit more about yourself and also how did you initially got into documentation? Yeah, no problem. So, uh, I'm, yeah, as you say, I'm Alan. Uh, I'm in London at the moment. Uh, I got into documentation um, maybe five or six years ago. Um, at that time. So I had just gotten my uh, degree. My degree was in uh, creative writing and linguistics. uh, And I did what many uh, graduates in that field do. I went to Asia to teach English. Um, While while I was there, um, I came across a job advertisement for a technical writer. Uh, Honestly, I'd, I'd never heard of technical writing before. Uh, but at that point, I, I just wanted to stay in, in Taiwan, which is where I was. And that was really my the only motivation for why I applied for the job. Uh, but basically, during the, 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 the period between applying and having the interview, I did a ton of research. I read the blog by the, a guy that you've mentioned a lot on your podcast who wrote the book Every Day, Every Page is Page One. Uh, I taught myself HTML. And I just prepared myself as much as possible uh, to to get this job in a cybersecurity company. And um, much to my surprise, I ended up getting the job. And uh, I, I found that technical writing was a really good fit for someone like myself, someone who enjoys writing essays and thinking logically and... Um, uh, and, and also has a, a bit of an interest in, in the technology world. Um, and I've been doing it since then for, like I say, five or six years. And it's been great. Great. So five to six years of experience in documentation um, will have quite a lot to share with our uh, audiences today. So let's see how much uh, we can um, uh, get uh, your experiences uh, in this podcast. So uh, as someone who got a bachelor's in creative writing, and of course, English language and linguistics. What advice do you have for writers looking to transition into technical writing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm actually, I, I do some mentoring for for students um, at my old university, it's creative writing students. And um, I, to, to my surprise, uh, I'm finding that a lot of them actually know what technical writing is and they're told about it on the course, which wasn't the case when when I was studying creative writing at all. 
Uh, in fact, back then, it was kind of seen as a totally different field, completely unrelated, some, something uh, that only really technical people get into. Uh, what, what I would tell them is, uh, for one thing, don't feel discouraged at not having a very technical background because that can actually work a little bit to your advantage. Uh, because if if you're too technical, you start to assume a certain degree of knowledge that the user might have. Um, and so if you're coming from a technical, if you're coming from a creative writing background um, and you might not have that knowledge, you can kind of speak to ordinary people like yourself and break down, like because it's all about taking that complicated information and expressing it to ordinary people like yourself. So kind of look at it in a way as being an advantage. But at the same time, there are certain technical skills that you need to have, which you're not going to learn in a, in a creative writing course, such as HTML, um, using a content management system. And I think it's becoming increasingly important to know some coding skills as well. Now, anybody can learn that stuff on their own these days, right? Because it, it's becoming increasingly easy to do online courses and, and uh, to watch YouTube videos. Because I would tell them, uh, learn a little bit of that. Don't, don't go too deep into it. It's not necessary at that point when you're at entry level, but do teach yourself a little bit. And that will definitely put you in a good position when you have those initial job interviews. Excellent. Excellent, Alan. Um, and again, you 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 used to be an English teacher, right? Yeah. Okay. So, do you find that uh, your experience teaching people helped you in your technical writing process as well? Because some of the points you highlighted in the earlier question uh, also kind of gives that hint. So that's why I'm very curious to know. Yeah. So, actually, there's quite a lot of crossover, which I it didn't really occur to me at the time when I was applying for my first technical writing job. And if it did, I, I would have uh, played that up a bit more in the interview. Because um, basically with English teaching, like what I was doing, I was teaching English to uh, Chinese-speaking children. Mm -hmm. And I was explaining complicated stuff to them, uh, just breaking it down into manageable chunks of information. Uh, I was creating uh, you know, lesson planning, creating curriculums. Um, and really, again, like I said, thinking about things very logically. Uh, and there's definitely like, definitely a lot of crossover there. Like if, if you can break down complicated English grammar to 10-year-old children who don't speak English, then in theory, assuming you're, you're a good writer as well, which uh, a lot of English teachers are by virtue of the fact that they understand English very well, mm -hmm. then uh, you should, in theory, be, be able to do the same thing in, in technical communication as well. Right. Um, yeah, that, that sums up uh, quite a bit, uh, Alan. Uh, and again, uh, just coming back to your experience of five years um, documenting support materials, uh, including Facebook's augmented reality platform. Um, what was it like working for such a huge platform? Yeah, it, it, it was it was really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, Facebook is a, is a good company to work for. Um, and it was quite exciting as well. Uh, it kind of felt like uh, at that time when, when there was all this kind of talk about 
these uh, the Google Glasses and uh, uh, all this uh, virtuality and Oculus Rift and all this stuff was very much in in the uh, in the zeitgeist at that time. So it was quite exciting to be on the kind of forefront of working on augmented reality with, with a company like Facebook as well. Um, and Facebook, like the yeah, it, it's a really good place to work for. They, they, something I really appreciated about it is that they kind of just leave you. Uh, they, they, you know, they, in order to get a job at Facebook, you've got to be very good at your job, obviously. So they have a lot of trust in you that you're just going to get the job done, and there's not a great deal of micromanaging, and um, and and I, I quite like that. The the other side to the job at Facebook was that it involved a lot of customer research and trying to really understand uh, what exactly the specific users of this technology want from documentation. And that was the first time that I worked in a company where I, I really had to think hard about, okay, what exactly does the, the, the user want here? Because the, it was a very specific type of user. They, they were usually artists using this software. And so they, they wanted a very visual type of documentation. They wanted animations, uh, GIFs. Uh, and all of this sort of information came up during the research that we were doing with the actual users. And I found that really interesting. And I'm trying to take that mentality of tr trying to really uh, appreciate what the user wants uh, into the companies that I've been with since then. And to not just assume that because documentation is normally done this way, uh, that that's necessarily what the, the users of this product want. Right. Uh, yep. Um it must have given you quite a lot of experience. Um, I'm also guessing a lot of those requests and uh, things to do might have come mostly on an ad hoc basis with short uh, um, uh, timelines to finish. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, that that for, for me, that's usually been the case. Uh, most most of the companies that I've worked for, it's very much kind of been like a kind of ad hoc, like this feature is released, we, we want this documentation immediately, uh, kind of one thing after the other. But with also um, with that particular product at Facebook, there was uh, another side to it, which is that that product had been available for a while, but it hadn't been properly documented before. So on top of documenting new features, um, I also had to make time to document old features as well. So it was kind of a mix. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, so again, uh, talking about uh, documentation and uh, working with new and old. So what's your documentation process at Medilla and who is um, involved? Okay, so at the moment in Medallia, there's actually quite a few technical writers. I, th I think I'm in a team of about 12 people. But the thing is, I, I work for a specific product within Medallia called Decibel. And so I'm, I'm the only uh, writer for that, for that particular product. Uh, and so that kind of changes the dynamics a little bit, being the, the only writer. Um, but as for the, the process, so basically, uh, yeah, actually, I guess in a way, this is similar to what it was like at Facebook. In, in, uh, so 
this product uh, Decibel has been around for a long time, um, but it, it was uh, it wasn't really properly documented. There, there, there was a um, uh, there, there is some existing documentation, but it's mostly written by developers. And uh, as as you can imagine, when when developers are writing documentation, and uh, it's not really their their skill, right? So the documentation tends to be very wordy um, and uh, not easy to skim, and uh, you yeah, know, not not the best written documentation in the world. So uh, one of the kind of key things that I have to do in my process is kind of figure out what the gaps are inside this documentation that they've already created and also to try to see which pages are currently considered to be useful and which ones are not useful. Because as just one writer, um, it's not not really realistic for me to, as much as I'd like to um, update and rewrite every single page that already exists. That's that's not really going to happen. So a lot of the process is trying to figure out where is my time best suited for. Um, and so that would mean doing a lot of liaising with the support team to kind of find out what they're getting questions for, um, which pages are they sharing with people and which ones come back to them where where users say no this is this is useless um which ones are already good and yeah just trying to trying to figure a lot of that out for myself as well especially because like i say i'm the only writer here so a lot of it has to be on on my, my own back and using my own initiative very nice very nice alan and um uh, some words about your documentation workflow at the current company okay so because the company had been around for a long time without any technical writers, uh, by which I'm talking about Decibel, a lot of the, the developers um, are not really used to working with uh, technical writers. And so what, one of the things that I've had to do from the beginning is to just try to get myself known to everybody, try and make sure that I attend like every meeting that I can make sure that I'm there and I'm a visible presence and that I'm always asking questions and uh, I'm always reminding them constantly all the time to make sure that every time there's new uh, releases coming out or they're making this tiny little change that they think it isn't going to be necessary to tell me about, that they have to inform me all the time. Um, And uh, in so doing that, I've managed to create a sort of a relationship with everybody where they'll update me every week or have updates every week where they can tell me, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Um, and and then they'll introduce me to the feature, I'll go off and play with it, and then we'll have uh, kind of back and forths where I ask them questions and and um, so they can elaborate on, on uh, what they've done. So really... Uh, it's quite interesting because at this company, there wasn't a process in place and I've not been here for a massive amount of time yet. So we're still trying to figure out uh, what exactly the process should be. It's still kind of evolving and it probably, to be honest, it probably will continue to evolve. It, it won't necessarily be set in stone. Nice. And now it's always a um, pleasure, right? When you're like in the first set of uh, team establishing processes and procedures, uh, it's, it's, it's your 
it's your thoughts and uh, uh, activities that uh, determines what comes next. Yeah, exactly. Although, I mean, that said, um, because I'm kind of like in a company within a company, so Medallia is is a a massive company and they have their own processes in place. So I am able to, uh, from time to time, just chat with the writers uh, in in the the wider company and uh, try to align what I do with what they do. So I'm not completely coming in from nowhere there is sort of like a template that i can kind of uh, dip in and out of as as necessary if that makes sense yes absolutely yeah i think yeah it's always a good experience to have <laughs> right uh so you did mention you're a team of 12 and a lot of process and workflows are being established or um being set up so uh, can you comment a bit more on your reporting structure uh how do you report on your doc- documentation who do you report um are all 12 reporting to the same uh, department or team yeah so the there's actually several different products within uh medallia they they have their kind of main product which which is really famous and a lot of people use and then there's these other products like my one decibel which are like uh separate almost like separate companies so um in terms of reporting on the actual documentation that i do um, I don't really report that in with like any kind of central authority within the company, so to speak, like like a like a, a manager of the entire like a like a team lead, right? A documentation team lead. I don't have anything like that. Um, so, it, it, in a way, it, it all kind of comes down to me, um, which is interesting, and. Which means that it's really uh, comes to feedback. That's kind of the measure that I use. Feedback from probably at, at the moment, the the feedback is mostly internally because we, we don't have a great um, process in place for getting feedback externally from the users. Um, but that's that's something that that we should definitely work on more and and I'd really love to do more research with the actual users and try to understand how they think a little bit more but right now like I say it's it's sort of like depending on feedback for uh, a lot of the time from you know managers peers from within the company that I work for less so uh, the the kind of team lead or other writers uh, in Medallia. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, a um, lot of uh, exciting technologies you've worked for and even your current company, lots of um, new things happening. So in your career, um, over the last five to six years of your career uh, with this space, what, what has been the most important innovation um, when it comes to document tracking? I think now, um, like I say, there seems to be a lot more emphasis on trying to understand the user experience and how documentation fits within the user experience as a seamless part of that rather than as um, as a sort of separate thing or an afterthought. I think the, the idea of uh, a, a sort of separate 
documentation that that you go to on a separate website with like tons and tons of information um, is sort of uh, slowly over time becoming uh, less important, less necessary um, because the the user experience itself is is becoming more seamless and intuitive. Mm-hmm. People people don't really want to read tons of documentation anymore. And so as a result, what, what I'm finding is um, uh, with, you know, you've got like LMSs coming in, learning, learning management systems and other ways of educating the user within the user experience itself. And so traditional documentation has to fit within that somehow. And it also needs to be more catered towards those specific user needs. So, for example, most of the users of the product that I use that I'm working on now are analysts. They're not uh, developers. They're not like technical people, which is sort of what you typically think of when you're creating documentation. And like I said, at Facebook for the product that I was working for, it was mostly artists. And I'm finding companies seem to be putting more resources into trying to figure out, okay, how does an artist approach documentation? How do they do that within the entire user experience? How does an analyst approach documentation? So that's kind of what I think the biggest change that I've noticed is. And at the same time, um, while this is happening and that kind of traditional documentation is kind of becoming a little bit more uh, moved to the sidelines, the, the need for very complicated and dense technical developer documentation is probably becoming more important than, than ever. Uh, and that's a whole uh, kind of different story. Nice. Um, one thing we did not discuss a lot is what's the nature of your documentation, Alan? Is it publicly available or um, it's a private uh, one with a login and password just for your customers? Um, it's actually uh, p- private. It's it's just for the uh, the the customers. All right. Fantastic. So shall we move on to the rapid fire round questions? Just three more questions to go. Uh, yeah, of course. Super. So who have you learned the most about documentation from in your career? Yeah, that that would definitely be um, uh, my, my mentor at the cybersecurity company that I worked at in Taiwan. His name was uh, Michael Taylor. Um, he, he was also an English teacher before he became a technical writer. And... Um, I think that helped me to uh, that helped me to kind of really appreciate where he was coming from and helped me transition into technical writing. And I'd say, yeah, ev- everything that I've learned about how to be a good technical writer, uh, from the writing itself uh, to dealing with stakeholders and uh, kind of office politics and everything, uh, I really learned from him. Um, yeah, so I definitely put him in first place. Thank you. Uh, and again, uh, any documentation-related resource you have consumed recently? Yeah. So the other day, actually, um, I, I was uh, so I was playing a video game, and uh, I got stuck on a on a on a level, and I went on YouTube just to check how how to pass this level. And the video 
um, there was a video that I just stumbled onto and it was exceptional in its clarity. And it really made me think about, um, about technical writing and about a lot of the, 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 the way that the things are going in. So there's definitely like the topic of videos has just, it, it won't stop coming up. It comes up all the time. Um, and people, people definitely want more video content. And the way that this, this video, just the clarity, it would, um, it would just show, it would just get straight to the point. And then the guy who made the video, he edited it so that like arrows would appear on the screen and little circles showing where you're supposed to go. And then certain bits would be sped up and then certain bits would be slowed down. And I thought, yeah, this, this is, um, this is exceptional. And every single comment underneath was also commenting on how this guy is like probably the best, um, the best person they've come across to explain uh, how, 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 what to do in, in games when you get stuck. Um, and I, there's definitely a lot from that video that I, that I'm, that, that um, I'll be taking on board going forwards as the topic of videos comes up more and more. All right, that's that's a great uh, uh, piece of uh, documentation you shared there, Alan. My last question to you is: uh, What is the one piece of documentation-related advice you would give to your twenty-year-old self? So, when I w- was first starting out in, in technical writing, um, I kind of felt like a fraud. That I, I definitely f- felt like I'm just some some guy with a creative writing degree and um, everyone around me has like computer science backgrounds and proper technical technical degrees. And um, I, I didn't really feel like I should be there. Um, but as, as time has passed, I've kind of come to realize that being an outsider is actually a good thing. Um, when... Back then, I would be self-conscious about asking questions because I thought oh, it might make me look stupid and um, ignorant. But now um, I realize that asking asking questions often gets the developers themselves and the UX designers to see things in a different way. And being an outsider is definitely a good thing as a technical writer. So I probably tell my my younger self just to just don't worry about that stuff um just kind of use it use it to your advantage um stop being self-conscious and in the end of the day technical writing is a really really important part of the job uh, a job in 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 any in any company so just do do what you have to do but I'd probably also tell my younger self while embracing being an outsider, at the same time, put more effort into learning a bit of code uh, on the side. Learn some Python, learn some JavaScript. I've started doing that now because I see how important it's becoming um, in the future for, for developer documentation. Um, but I, I, I think uh, I, I, I definitely advise my younger self to just to just to do a little bit more of that stuff. You don't have to spend hours and hours doing it, but just do a little bit more because uh, the time is coming where we you know with automation and with everything else that this type of uh, 
documentation, um, developer documentation is just going to get more and more important. True. Very true, uh, Alan. So every little you save now or learn will eventually help you uh, become stronger in whatever you're planning to do, correct? <laughs> yeah. Super. So uh, anything else you'd like to add uh, to our audiences today, Alan, that I missed to ask? Yeah, just to say, um, uh, I, I wish I had a resource like this when, when I was starting out as a technical writer. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of your interviews um, and it's, it's just, it's a super, super useful resource. And um, I feel very grateful and privileged that you reached out to me. Thank you so much. Thank you once again to guests like yourself to coming forward and sharing your experiences and building a stronger community uh, because we feel, as you rightly said, documentation is something that shouldn't be taken lightly uh, in any organization. So again, thanks to our guests for making this session very useful to our audiences. With that words, um, let us uh, conclude the session, Alan, and I'll let you go and uh, uh, spend your rest of the day with the, with your project activities and uh, good luck with all your engagements. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. Please head to iTunes, rate, and provide honest feedback on the podcast. See you next week.